You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Any of you guys have your Bibles tonight? Let me see your Bibles. Raise them high in the air. Okay, good. A lot of you have your Bibles. Put your Bible on your lap and turn to the Gospel of John. I'm glad that you have your Bible tonight because you're going to turn to a lot of Scripture tonight. We're going to do a little Bible study tonight. I was telling my wife before I came here that... um, I was a little bit apprehensive or nervous about preaching tonight. It's been a long while. Um, There's some flesh that gets in the way sometimes. And uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. But one of those things is that um, this is uh, an amazing concept that we find, an amazing doctrine, an amazing teaching that we find in the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 16. This, verse, this uh, message is titled, God's Only Begotten Son. I spent more time studying for this message, I told my wife, than I've probably spent studying for any other message. She looked at me like, really? <laughs> Most of my messages are given to me, you know, just in a moment. The Lord just gives them to me. And um, I'm able to develop them and meditate on them from there. But this is one, a message that I had heard many, many years ago. Oh, it wasn't really that long ago. It was while I was at Landmark. Uh, with the same title, and with the same path, and with the same um, thoughts and ideas. And that is a message that has stuck with me ever since then. Some messages that you hear preached... They just simply don't leave you. And this is a message that simply never left me. Every time I heard the song, God's Only Begotten, I would think of this message. God's Only Begotten Son. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what a privilege and an honor it is to preach and teach this evening, Lord. And I feel very unequipped and unprepared for this message, even though I've spent so much time preparing for it, Lord. I just, I really ask that you would fill me with your spirit and uh, that from there you would really speak to the hearts, that we would have open ears, open hearts, willing listeners for what you have for your people this evening. Pray for this in your name. Amen. I do ask that as I prayed, um, you would have open hearts and open ears to what you're about to be taught from Scripture this evening. If I were to ask you, many of you have been saved for many years. It's a little loud. 
Many of you have just uh, only been saved recently. And if I were to ask you, this the most famous passage in Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16. If I were to ask you, what does that mean, the only begotten Son? If I were to ask you that, many of you would say something like, oh, it's his only Son. It's the only Son that came from God. Well, I'm born again. Are you born again? Raise your hand. Well, then you're a son of God. That makes you, a, whether you're a, a man or a woman, you're a son of God. Many of our modern translations have taken son in many places in the Bible and either made it gender neutral or put daughter in place of sons in many places of the Bible. But there's a problem with that. You see, daughters don't receive an inheritance. Sons receive an inheritance. The Bible made no mistake about calling us sons of God. Many of the modern translations have taken that word only begotten and have replaced it with one and only. Many of them have, some of them have even gone so far as to replace it with special, unique kind. And it's interesting that those that have taken this word, this only begotten word, and have replaced it with special, unique kind, actually get a little bit closer than the ones who who have translated it the one and only Son. If we were to go to Hebrews chapter 11, turn with me there. You're going to have to turn a lot in your Bible. Try to turn very quickly this evening. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see this word begotten translated again. In verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham... When he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Bible trivia for you. Did Abraham have only one son that came from his loins? Did he have just one son? No. Well, what does this mean? God's that, that it says he, that he, had, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Again, God has more than one son, so Jesus isn't God's only son. If you are born again, if you're saved here this evening, you're a son of God, you are a child of God, you are born again. Abraham also had more than one son. It says that he offered up his only, only begotten son. And it continues on there in verse 18, gives us a little bit more information about what the Bible means when it says begotten, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure that after the name of Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see, the Bible doesn't say that that um, God is the God of Abraham, uh, Ishmael, and Muhammad. 
The Bible says that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had more than one son, but he only had one that was called his only begotten son. Oh, where, where are we getting at? Where, what are we saying here? What are you trying to say, bro Brother Aaron? What are you trying to say? There was only one son from the loins of Abraham that was worthy and had the place to receive the promises that was given by God to Abraham. The promises of a multitude of seed, of many, many people, the promises of a land, which is called Israel. The promises of a king, a line of kings that shall have no end. Those were the promises given to Abraham by God. And God says to Abraham when he's 90 years old, he says, I'm going to give you a son. Don't you worry. Don't you fret about this. I know that your faith sometimes is small in this, but I'm going to give you a son. Abraham makes the mistake of thinking that he needed to help God out. And thus we have Ishmael. Abraham's begotten son, his only begotten son, was Isaac. The one that was to receive the inheritance and the prominence. The one that had a very special, a very unique place. You see, begotten. The Bible uses the word begotten in many times, and almost every time in the Old Testament, it means the same as beget and beget. You can read through and look it up every single time that the Bible uses the word begotten. It means beget or begat, the past participle of beget or begat in the Old Testament, except one time. And the only reason that we know in this one time that we're going to get to in a moment that it doesn't mean the same as beget and begat is because the Bible defines it later on in Acts chapter 13 and in Hebrews chapter 1 and in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to do a little Bible study this evening. We're going to go through and we're going to see how the Bible defines itself. You see, if you were to take up a... Uh, 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which I am a big fan of, but it's not my final authority. You would see that the word begotten means to bring forth offspring, to beget and begat, to produce. If you were to take up a commentary, I've read through many of them on all of these verses, and most of them, almost all of them, will not give you the Bible definition of what the word begotten means in these places. Begotten is to give an exalted position or place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son that was the only one worthy to receive the exalted Position. Abraham offered up his only begotten son, his only begotten, not his only son, but his only begotten son. The one that had the right to receive the inheritance that was given to Abraham and to his seed by God. 
It is very interesting as we continue on in this Bible study. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is given to us three times. Matthew, Luke, and the beginning of John. The beginning of John tells us that Jesus Christ comes from none other but God the Father. And if we were to read through the entire genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter uh, 1, it says, and we're not going to do that, don't worry, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and it goes on and it continues on, this man begat this man, and this man begat this man, and then if we skip down to verse 16, it says, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice here that your Bible went through and it said, this man begat this man, and this man begat this man, but then when it got to Jesus, it says, it doesn't use the word begat for Jesus. Read it again. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. It doesn't say that Mary begat Jesus. It doesn't say that Joseph begat Jesus. And it doesn't say that God begat Jesus. You see, the words beget and begat are both used in your Bible, and both of them, one's a future tense and one's a past tense, both of them mean to, to create, to produce, to bring forth. I have, in this sense, I have three children that I beget. Every time the Bible uses the words beget and begat, it is always talking about creating. It's always talking about giving forth a conception in the womb. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost is the one that conceived Jesus Christ in the womb. But notice that the Bible never, ever mentions the word beget or begat in relation to Jesus Christ. Are you guys following along with me? Why is that? He has no beginning. All of your children, every man, every woman who has ever walked the face of the earth had a beginning. Everyone but Adam and Eve have a father or a mother in which they were begat. But Jesus didn't. And Jesus has no beginning. Yes, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, as the angel said to Mary and Joseph, that the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and, and you will conceive in your womb this child called Jesus. But he was never begotten in the sense of what we call procreation, because to say so and to affirm such a doctrine is heresy. It's to say that Jesus had a beginning. He has no beginning. And I go through all that to remind you that just because the words beget and begat and begotten sound the same and are sometimes used to mean the same things doesn't mean that they always mean the same things. Again, if you were to go to commentators, and if you were to go to your Webster's Dictionary, and if you were to go to 
Greek or Hebrew, you might be able to gather some of this. But a lot of them would be competing voices. So how do we resolve what the Bible means when it says begotten? The beautiful thing about your Bible is that it has within itself a built-in dictionary. There is hardly a word that is within Scripture that you can't find out the meaning of based upon the context of the Scripture that, that that word is in. And so as we look at the word begotten, we continue to find, we find and we go back to Psalm, go with me to Psalm, the second Psalm. Psalm 2. This is a psalm, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And here we get to this point. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost, uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. In verse number 7, again I will read it, And I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, capital S-O-N, talking about none other than Jesus Christ, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. If you didn't have a New Testament, a New Testament that where preachers preach and refer back to this particular psalm, and you were to be asked, what does that verse mean? Most of us, dare say all of us, would say that that means none other than the virgin birth and the conception of Jesus Christ. The day either when he was born or when he was conceived. Is that true? Would you say that that's probably, if, you, if, you, if that is what you would say, could you raise your hand? Everyone's scared to raise their hand. The amazing thing is, again, the best commentator of the Bible is the Bible. The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible itself. You want to find out what it means, again, what a word means. Read it within the context of the scripture. You want to find out what a passage means. Then allow the Bible to interpret itself. Go with me. Go with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 13. Again, the word begotten in this sense, when referring to Jesus Christ, is not another verb form for beget or beget. It is talking about exalting the Lord Jesus, putting him in a certain position. We're going to find the proof for that in the Bible. Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. 
I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Him, who? Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he was seen many of he and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said in this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. The second psalm, a psalm declaring the Lord Jesus Christ, where, where God says to him, he says, and I will say to my son, I've lost it. It was in my head, but I forgot it. I will declare the decree the Lord said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. What day? What day was Jesus begotten? On his resurrection day. Wait a minute, I thought the begat and begat and begotten just meant that he was born. So wouldn't that refer then to the day of either his conception or his birth? Well, according to the Bible, which again is the best commentary for any Bible verse or any any. Um, any Bible word, the Bible says on the day that Jesus Christ was raised up again, in verse 33, it says, as it is written, God says to Jesus Christ on the day that he is risen again from the grave, God says to him, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And you'll often see if you read about these verses that Commentators will refer to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. And verse 3 it says concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to his flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus Christ was manifested to be indeed the son of God on the day that he was risen again from the grave. That all man could look upon this Jesus Christ, this man who declared himself to be God while he was on this earth, walking and teaching and doing miracles. That it was manifested to mankind that this was indeed the sent Messiah, that this was indeed God manifest in the flesh. But if we look at Acts chapter 13, verse 33. It's not talking about a commentary upon who Jesus is, a proof of who Jesus is. This is God speaking to his son. Not an action of God, Jesus being raised from the dead, speaking to mankind. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. On the day that Jesus Christ was risen again, 
God says to him, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Begotten. Given an exalted place that none other has ever been. We think about being raised from the dead. And Jesus isn't the first person to be raised from the dead. Your Bible has many, many accounts of men being raised from the dead. Jesus is not the first one to be raised from the dead. But if we read on this commentary of what begotten means... In verse 33, the end of it, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee on the day that he's raised from the dead. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And then he goes on to say, this wasn't talking about David. This was talking about the one who would be from the seed of David because David went to the grave and he saw corruption. But there was one who went to the grave that never saw corruption and that was Jesus Christ. No one has ever taken that place. Only Jesus Christ has taken the place where he was risen again to never again see, to never ever see corruption. Every other person that has been raised from the dead in Scripture died. And they saw corruption their bodies rotted in the grave. Jesus Christ is the only one who has exemplified conquering over death and corruption. He's God's only begotten. He's been given an exalted place that no one has ever been given before. To be risen again to never see corruption. Now turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. The second time that this is talked about in the New Testament, a commentary of what Acts chapter 2 means when it says that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten. Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that is, that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, that if you were to ever be able to behold God with your eyes, it would be Jesus Christ, veiled, veiling his glory in the, in the flesh, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. I love that expression. Notice it doesn't say the power of his word, but the word of his power. That means that God's Power has words. Something to meditate on. When he had by himself purged our sins, listen to this, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. 
Jesus, on the day that he was resurrected from the dead, God said, this, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Jesus, on the day that he was ascended up on high and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, God said, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. On this day, this day, my son, that I have given you the place that no one else has the authority, no one else has the right to take, That's that right hand of the throne on high, that place, that seat, where you sat down in the majesty of heaven, showing yourself to be so much better than the angels, having a more excellent name, and that you can take that seat. And on this day that you have taken the seat of the throne of heaven on high, I say to you, my son, this is what God says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Begotten. Giving that exalted position. God has many sons. Many sons. Many sons that will one day rise again in that resurrection day. God has many sons, but only one had the right to sit on that seat on high. None of us, not me, not you, not anyone, has the right to sit in that seat of the majesty of the throne, the right hand of the majesty on high. Only Jesus Christ. He sits in heaven in this moment, ruling on high because he is God's only begotten son. And as he sits on heaven on high, on that day that he ascended, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This is a reference of a conquering king. When a king was to enter his own land, having conquered those in the battlefield, he led captivity captive. He took all of those back with him, and there was this big celebration, and he gave gifts unto men. And the Bible says that when Jesus ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men. It tells us that he gives uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and so many other gifts. If you are a born-again child of God sitting here this evening, then you have been given gifts to the king that sits on the throne on high. And he only has a right to do that because he's God's only begotten son. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that the, that the one who died on the cross for us was risen again and then ascended up on high, having a very special place today in heaven. The last time that we see this phrase mentioned in Scripture is Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And it goes on to speak about the office of the priesthood. 
And verse 4, it says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto them, him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. We see, number one, that, that God says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, on his resurrection day, on the day that he sits down on the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, ruling and reigning as the rightful heir to the throne. We see also that in reference to Jesus being our priest, God says, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. I have raised you up to a place in heaven that no one else has the right to take. You see, when Jesus ascended to the throne of heaven, the Bible makes it clear in the book of Hebrews that he took his own blood and applied it to the altar on high for my sins and for your sins. That the blood of Jesus Christ right now is in heaven to wash away our sins. This high priest, this Jesus sitting on, on, in heaven on high, acts as our priest. You see, in days past, in the days when the Old Testament times were, were written, when the Old Testament law was written, in order for man to get to God, he had to go through the priest. In order for man to atone, to cover his sins, he had to go to the priest to make a sacrifice. For you and me, as blood-bought, born-again children of God, we only have to go to one high priest and he's sitting in heaven on high as our mediator, as our priest. The Bible says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one seat in heaven for his only begotten son, one mediator, one high priest. And this seat in heaven is for none other but God's only begotten son. It's interesting, though, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. Well, then in other places of the Scripture, it references children of God as having been begotten. It's interesting that the Bible tells us that there's only one ruler, there's only one king. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, and verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father? I am sinful, sin-ridden, there is only one man who has ever existed in this world that has the right 
to take the seat in the throne of heaven, to be exalted on that seat, to be God's only begotten. It's only one man who deserves the title of king, and that is Jesus Christ. That's God's only begotten son. There is only one man who has ever walked the face of this earth who deserves the title of high priest in heaven. The Bible calls us his royal priesthood. You and me, God's royal priesthood. And here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, makes us kings and priests? How is it possible that a holy God would make me a king or a priest, seeing that I am so filled in my flesh with sin? Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We are almost there. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know what the beautiful word about, the beautiful thing about the King James Bible is that while we use expressions like quicken means to be made alive in order for us to gain an understanding of the definition of the word quickened, I love my King James Bible that it continues to use words like begotten. I love my King James Bible that it continues to use words like quickened. You see, God rose many from the dead throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But they all returned to ashes. Every single one of them died except Jesus Christ. The Bible here doesn't say, and you hath he made alive. It says, and you hath he quickened. That is to be made alive and to return to death no more. You see, as a Christian, Christian is used in the Bible, saved is used in the Bible to describe those who are blood-washed saints in Christ. But you know what is used more than any other? In Christ. You see, when you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that God does something very interesting with you. He quickens you to make you alive to return to death nevermore, just like Jesus Christ on the day of his resurrection. And God says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten you. God raising Jesus Christ from the dead, declaring himself to be the all-powerful one, having power over death and hell and the grave and sin forevermore. And God has done the same thing for you, dear Christian. You need not fear death. You need not fear hell. You need not fear corruption or sin. The Bible says that God hath already quickened you. Death is nothing but a changing into your glorified body. Nothing but that. You hath he quickened on the day of your salvation, made alive to return to death nevermore. And you hath he quickened. And just like his, he did on his, with his son on his resurrection day, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and skip down with me. In verse 4, 
Oh, let's read verse 2 through 4. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, every single one of us, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God. But God, the two sweetest words in, in Scripture, but God. God describing you as a, as a filthy, rotten, hell-deserving sinner says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we return to what we read in the beginning of Revelation that where Jesus Christ, where God refers to those who are blood-washed saints of God, he refers to us as priests and kings. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places, not on our own accord, not because of all the rewards that we've obtained by doing good Christian service in this life in heaven, not because of our own merit, but because we are in Christ Jesus and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ Jesus right now? He's sitting on the throne. If the Bible says that right now you've been quickened and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, where are you right now? You're on the throne of heaven. Not because of your goodness. Not because of anything that you have ever done to impress God or to earn merit or favor. There's only one man who ever deserves that seat to sit on the right hand of the majesty on high. And that is God's only begotten son. That's Jesus Christ. But when God looks at you and when he looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. And thus having washed all my sins away, and looking at me and not seeing me for my own filthiness, having in times past walked according to the disobedience of this world and the prince of the power of the air. No, no, no. He doesn't see that. He sees me quickened and raised up, sitting in Christ. And thus, thus Jesus then can be declared to be the first begotten. Thus, we can then be declared to also be the begotten of God. We can then be declared to be priests and kings, reigning and ruling with Christ forevermore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, you... It's only one king, yet he's made us kings. It's only one priest, yet he's made us priests. 
And the amazing thing about the Bible, this Christian life, is that God didn't just look at you and throw some salvation your way and then leave you alone, leave you to it. He didn't just look at you and say, I'm going to give him a little salvation. Oh, he's done so much more than that. Seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so often we look at this Christian life as a duty to fulfill the precepts found in the Bible, obeying God as a hard thing. You don't have to serve Christ. You get to serve Christ. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You get to read your Bible. You get to pray. You don't have to have communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. You get to do that. And it's not because of how much you've grown in your Christian life. It's because God, when he looks at you, if you are a blood-washed saint of God, when he looks at you being in Christ Jesus, he sees Jesus. Thus, he's able to forgive your sins. He's able to commune with you. He's able to look at you as royal priesthood. We throw such a fit with God when he asks us to do things not realizing that what we deserve are the flames of hell and nothing more than that. You don't have to serve Christ. You get to serve Jesus Christ. And it is only because you are in Christ Jesus, God's only begotten Son. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.